You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. We welcome you to another episode of Pros Like Us. We're going to change it up a little bit today. We're going to start off with a guest. All right, joining us now on the program is going to be Pat Capra. He is president and CEO of Malka Sports in New Jersey. Uh, he's going to take us into his world, kind of uh, draw back the curtain of the, the agency business. Uh, Pat, how you doing today? Guys, I'm doing fantastic. As we like to say, every day is Christmas over here. So uh, no, no complaint. Thanks for having me. Very good. So we'll just thought we'll call you Santa from here on in. Well, this, I think there's like a, a big misconception out there just in general about what the agency business is. And we'll get into that in a minute. But I just want to start off with what made you get into the business, Pat? What, what led you in that direction? You know, as, as I've gotten older, Lou, this is a longer tale to tell because I'm so damn old, but I'll, uh, I'll try to keep it super uh, tight with you. I, I wanted to be a broadcaster coming out of college. I went to Ithaca in upstate New York, did broadcasting there for four years, got an internship with the Giants, which led to a job that first year, 2000, 2001, the year they went to the Super Bowl. And, you know, long story short, I wanted to be a broadcaster, but I befriended some players. They complained about these empty promises their agents were making to them along the way. I didn't even know what that meant. But basically, I guess they recruit them, and they were promising they're going to take care of these different things off the field, and they weren't following through. And so what happened, you know, I just started helping these guys, calling around and getting supplement deals, you know, car deals, clothing, autograph signings, et cetera. Nothing crazy, five grand, ten grand, et cetera. You know, nothing life-altering. But I, I would just give them all the money. I just thought it was fun. And so at the end of that season, you know, I was grabbing dinner with one of the guys and said, hey, you should have certified to become an agent. You're doing all the hard part and the legwork. And so I decided, you know what? You're right. So I went and got certified to become an agent and uh, pivoted away from the broadcasting and, you know, just been doing it ever since. How do you go about identifying the players that you want to represent, Pat? What, what's kind of the process, how, how that comes about? It's a great question. I think there's been an evolution over time, right? You know, when I started telling you the story about going and deciding to, to get into this business, I had no money and no clients, right? Uh, so I had really no idea what I was doing, but I was well-intended, I was smart, and I was going to outwork people. So I thought that would be good enough to get me you know, started. It also had some relationships. Um, but in the beginning, again, you don't know what you don't know. You're like, okay, you know, Florida State, Miami, Penn State, USC, et cetera, Texas. Like, these are the big schools. I got to go there. So you travel all over the country, and you realize, you know, not only are you out men in many areas, you know, starting out at 24, 25 years old, but also, you're just chasing all these different opportunities. So, you know, after the first couple of years, it was really a, a strategy to recruit much more geographically so I could be much more present face-to-face -face with, you know, potential clients and their families to be more present, right? And so instead of going after quantity, really kind of focusing on quality. So, you know, there are all these metrics that we all look at, right? We want draft-rateable players, et cetera. But geographic is, is certainly a big deal. You know, when, when I look at that, it's, okay, who's in this northeast and who's, you know, as far down as, you know, Georgia and up, things like that start to play into factors, right? Not just, you know, hey, let me just look at the top 100 and 
go get every single person because you want to be present needing to build relationships and have connections and some sort of third party introduction that maybe you have a common connection from a player that you represent in the league, et cetera. So those things start to take precedent. Pat, what do you think sets you apart from the rest of the agents out there? What's your biggest advantage that you're able to provide to your clients? The major differentiator with Malka Sports, we operate in three different areas of business. We have talent representation where we do the players' contracts on the field, the marketing endorsement, post-career, which we refer to as really legacy, which is, you know, twofold. But uh, that's one area of business. The second area of business is partnerships, right? So that's brands, ad agencies, media properties, managing those relationships directly. And the third area is content, right? And we have an in-house digital content studio. So what makes us different, what makes us unique or quote-unquote better than somebody else? The differentiator is that digital content studio. We are a 140-person company with offices in both Santa Monica, California, and uh, Jersey City, New Jersey. <laughs> Although we're all spread out, uh, mainly working out of home. I'm at the Malka Sports Bunker uh, the last you know, 10 or 11 months here. To, to, to bring that up, what is our differentiator? It's that, the ability to have studios, creators, you know, out of that staff, maybe 70% of that staff are these multidisciplinary creatives that do from animation, motion graphics, um, editors, um, producers, et cetera, uh, and having all of this equipment, we're able to create content at scale, which really creates so many more avenues and opportunities of monetization and brand building for athletes, right? So we can compete with anyone with those first two areas of business, but you're not truly serving the present-day athlete if you're not able to create this additional opportunity over here. And really, when you go into it, that's a main part of the conversation. A lot of the agents, most of what we say is very similar. You got to figure out where's the white space and the differentiator. This person not just being working for an agency that can represent me for two to three or five years, but 10 years and far into my post career, they have a vision for where I'm going to be, right? Because, and not to be long winded, but, it, but the reality is I learned very early on while post career was so important to me as an agent talking about, hey, making sure that you're protecting yourself long term. A lot of times when you sit down with a 22-year-old kid, talking about their post-career, you know, that, that, that's the last thing they want to talk about. Man, they haven't even played it down in the league yet. They don't want to think about, you know, all that sort of stuff. They want to think about present. But, you know, the content space is totally different. You know, athletes now, you know, should be an R at the conversations with a seat at the table about equity, ownership, creating their own brand as well as being business people. So, you know, having that major differentiator in-house um, compared to other agencies, that's been a, a huge boost and a big help for us. Well, good for you, Pat, because that's certainly, you know, a next level of vision. It's about setting these guys up for, for the long term, and which is really important. Yeah, and, and, and you know, when we talk about that, that manifestation of the content, right, it is – being able to, you know, do full-length documentaries. We've done, you know, we actually just did a documentary this year on, on Tua, uh, which was on Fox. We've also done one on DeMarcus Cousins. He's coming back from Achilles surgery. We have 12 video first podcasts, right? So, like, we, you know, have Sebastian Joseph Day. We represent him. He comes out in the drafts. Huge personality. Excellent player. Has a great, you know, couple of years out there in L.A. Really want to showcase his personality. So, we're able to create a show called Dine and Bash, which 
is a digital series that is built all around his personality, his love of food and culture, and helping out local restaurants out there in L.A. So just being able to create these additional opportunities in-house and not have to farm them out just gives us so much different opportunity. We work with the McCordy twins, and they're two as good of humans as you'll ever meet in your life, and helping them with everything off the field. And, you know, with those guys, uh, we created double coverage a couple of years ago, right? Now, uh, this podcast for them, Video First Podcast, is really you know, taken off. And this year, we we're actually able to license it um, in Boston. It's an area where guys can, you know, really enhance their endorsement deals by utilizing these type of vehicles to deliver more assets to a brand. So um, we try to put ourselves at the center of that conversation. And again, uh, I, I learned from a very early age getting into this business, offering more service is really, really important. Everybody gets so concerned about trying to cut their fees and everything. That's not a conversation I'm interested in. I want to have a conversation about giving more, not taking less, right? You know, just giving more, bring the value to the player. So apologize if that's long-winded, but that's, you know, something I'm super passionate about. Tell us about who you're representing this year and this year's NFL draft. Yeah, so we have a kid, Eric Burrell, um, who's safety out of Wisconsin. And then uh, we had about five different guys that we were really close with that that decided to go back. It's going to be an interesting year, you know, next year where you have so many guys that went back into college. So uh, Eric is a safety who was uh, out of Wisconsin and he was training, you know, down in Florida and he's got his pro day actually today. So (laughs) we're keeping a close eye on, uh, on all the results up there. Well, Pat, you're getting my juices flowing here. I mean, I, I didn't realize how extensive the business was. I'm, I'm just waiting for the, the first movie you end up uh, producing here pretty soon. Uh, well, that's, uh, that, that, that'll, be the, that'll be the fifth one we do. So. <laughs> oh, so you've done some. Okay, all right. Anything we would have seen? Yeah, well, I was saying uh, Tua, which was on Fox this past year. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. That actually followed his you know journey and his background, and that was fantastic and yeah, it is It is well worth it. And then there's a couple others I'll give you quickly. Uh, the resurgence with DeMarcus Cousins as he came back from Achilles surgery. Right, okay. Uh, Legacy, Bob Hurley, which is a documentary on Hall of Fame basketball coach Bob Hurley, who was a client of mine for years. And I'll just, okay, I think you know, I did see that one. Games. That was great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, available on Showtime Anytime as well as uh, YouTube as well. And then another one we did on uh, bipolar disorder with Mauro Ronaldo called Bipolar Rock and Roller. He's the voice of combat sports. And then it's an incredibly important topic of mental health, which in particular men don't talk about enough. Um, and so we're really proud to be associated with a project like that, that, you know, again, really covered such an important topic. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, again, I mean, I think I, I touched on it before, is where I think a lot of people get you know hung up in the, in the glamour, you know, the two or three cell phones, you know, chasing the next whale. And I'm sure this has changed for you over the years. But if and I'm just really intrigued by this, so bear with us. What would be like a typical day for you if there is such a thing? Uh, there is absolutely not a typical day, but that's also <laughs> why I love it, you know. I think if people think about, you know, the the double-edged sword of, you know, being an agent is you are on at all times. And so there is no time off. I mean, I haven't, I never take, I mean, God bless my family. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've been out somewhere 
and I'm about to go, you know, really engage some family time and there's a call I got to take or I got, you know, my earphones in or something, you know, while we're doing something. So it's, it's always a challenge to make sure that you're both present and being, a, you know, a good father and, and, and husband. At the same time, you got to make sure that you're serving your clients because the reality is that things pop up and it's the most important thing in the world to them. And, and whether they get cut or there's an injury and these things like you have to address them right away. There is that, you know, double-edged sword of the glamour and the excitement, you know what I mean? But I always say it beats digging ditches, you know what I yeah. mean? So if on Memorial Day, you know, we're with the family and all of a sudden, you know, a player, you know, gets released and he's injured and we got to call these different doctors to try and, you know, get some paperwork to justify different things, like, well, that's what the job calls for and that's what you sign up for. And like I said, 95% of the time, it beats the alternative. To, to answer your question, the typical day, I mean, Right now, you know, we're, we're creeping towards free agency, so we're, you know, prepping for those opportunities. We have a couple of street free agents. Like I said, today we've got a, a kid who's in the, you know, having his pro day today, right? So those are different opportunities there. But then we're having conversations with our clients that are currently in the league about who their different brand partners are going to be, what the offseason is going to look like, what their training is going to look like. Then we're trying to make sure we get them aligned for all the endorsement deals. I mean, I told you about the, the show Dine and Bash that we have. We're right now trying to shop that to networks to see if they're interested in picking up season two. Um, so that's just a small sampling of what today might look like or the things that we're going to be hitting. Pat, how has the agent business changed over the last five to seven years in a good or a bad way? Mm, that's a fantastic question. Um, it's cyclical. Right. So I think, you know, you get these small shops that, you know, will get gobbled up by a, by a, by a bigger shop and then eventually they get spit out and they go and do their own things again. So, you know, you've seen that time and time again where individuals will sell their book of business or bring their book of business to an agency. So I think that is always happening, right? There's at times a few major, major players. I mean, the vast majority of players in the league are represented by you know, of very few large agencies, right? And so I always think there's there's opportunity on both sides of that. But how it's changed, I mean, I think the model in some ways is very broken, right? Um, I think in terms of investment, you have so many people that view this as this sexy and get-rich-quick type opportunity that they want to jump in and they – don't properly look at the finances of making sure it's a successful business where you're, you know, making money. The, the downside is so many people are cutting fees, right? And then they're not, you know, their their player might think, okay, that's great. I'm, I'm paying less. But then it turns out more times than that, you're getting less, right? Because that person's not making as much money off you. So they're not giving you the attention that you deserve. And then you end up in a situation where you're switching agents multiple times. And it's oftentimes not until you've been through that process once or twice that you realize the true value that you could have missed out on. So I think that's one of the, the, the problems is both the, the fee cutting and, you know, agents coming in and trying to overpay with these marketing guarantees that, um, you know, players sometimes get misled into thinking that that marketing guarantee is what they should be making their decision on who's going to you know offer more. Um, so I think that's kind of a, a, a downside to it. But, you know, in terms of an upside of the representation, I think you have players um, who, by and large, understand their value more, right? And so, and, and again, sometimes this happens a little bit, you know, further into their career where they're able to kind of see that true value. And they are demanding 
a higher level of representation and uh, and a better team to be around them to actualize on opportunities. So I think you know what's made the you know the agency business better are so many athletes who are really setting the bar and raising the bar. Um, you know these kind of athlete entrepreneurs that are using the game and not letting the game use them. Pat, you've been in the business for a while, but. When you mention the term sports agent, it usually gets a negative reaction from a lot of people. Do you think your profession has been ruined by a few dishonest guys out there? Oh, no. There's a lot of dishonest guys. (laughs) 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 That reputation is earned. Half kidding. There's definitely a few bad apples. You know, I I think by and large, agents are all trying to do right. I don't think you you have uh, agents who are out there criminally trying to intentionally ruin the careers of their athletes or take advantage of them. I think the vast majority of agents care a lot and they give a lot. They sacrifice a lot. Um, I just don't know how many are, are delivering true value, you know, and keeping up with how business is progressing and the landscape is changing and player empowerment and how you can be there to serve and help them monetize all these additional opportunities. So I don't know. I think I'm friends with a lot of agents in this business. Um, I, you know, don't steal clients. I've, you know, had really, you know, I've collaborated with a ton of agents. You know, when I first started, I didn't, I had no money and no clients. Like I said, I didn't have, but I had marketing opportunities, right? So I, work with other agencies and, you know, bring them opportunities and we develop relationships. And there's guys I see at the combine, you know, last 10 or 15 years that we have really good relationships with. Right. Um, so like I said, there's plenty of good agents out there. There's always going to be those few, you know, kind of scumbags who, you know, <laughs> everyone knows uh, who they are, but I just think, you know, the, the question becomes, you know, um, in terms of the reputation, it's not, bad intentions, but it might be bad service, right? I think there are guys who are not keeping up with the speed of culture and how things are shifting and with players recognizing their own value now and what really matters and making sure that they've got a seat at the table and that they're, you know, making sure their hands are on the wheel. Um, I think the industry is shifting a little bit to more player empowerment. The theme seems to be service, service, service. I was going to, you probably already answered this, but like at the end, at the end of the day, or when it's time to sign on the dotted line, so to speak, what are the majority players, what helps them make that decision? What, what, what are they looking for from you? I think ultimately, no matter what, no matter what anything, trust is always the most important, right? Because you could sound and talk real slick, even about service, right? You could, you know, make it seem like you're better than anybody else, at the end of the day, they have to trust that you're going to execute on what you say. And so I think that's the major differentiator. So I think, you know, having peers in their industry that can say, yes, I work with this person and they did what they said, right? Um, and being in the trenches with them, I think, you know, that, that, that trust is it's built on a repetition of fulfilled promises. It is the idea that you're going to be there when they get cut. You're going to be there when things don't go well, when something happens in their family, you know. Um, that's when you earn it, right? We're, all of us, we've all had, you know, disappointing, whether it's failure or sadness or loss in our family, whatever it could be. We've all experienced these different things. And it's the people that are there in those times when uh, these things are the toughest 
that builds that trust. And so for players, they need to know when things don't go right, you know, will you still be there? And so that's a big thing that, you know, is built up and really only resonates in those times. It's so easy to be there on draft day when things are going great. What happens when we had a player who was out of the league, you know, years ago for an entire season and he finally got picked up, you know, after the year and ended up playing another three years after that. You know, fortunate enough, he actually works with us now. He's our vice president of talent, Kevin Malist, who's one of the highest character dudes, you know, I've ever met. That that relationship, he's working now as our VP of talent, mentoring our athletes because of the relationships that we built through those difficult times, right? It wasn't always easy. Um, and Kev has had great success and, you know, has transitioned really, really well uh, into this business. But, you know, that's how that relationship is built. We have another guy who works on our team, Julian penix who's a former player as well, who ended up deciding not to pursue the NFL. We were down at a college all-star game, and his brother was a you know, former first-round pick, played 10 years in the league, and, you know, we had signed JPO, and he decided not to continue um, playing, right? And so I told him, listen, I'm going to treat you like I would a five- or ten-year guy that was in the league. I'm going to help you. We'll figure out what's next. We stayed really close. Again, the trust was built there, not trust in signing some mega million dollar contract. Next thing you know, a year later, we're recruiting a friend of his, Sebastian Joseph Day, and he was so uh, moved and appreciated, uh, appreciative for the help I gave his friend that that really earned his trust. Can't, you know, emphasize enough that that number one deciding factor on whether a guy chooses you or someone else is they trust you. They trust you that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. Yeah, I'm sure you saw the news come down today. They finally said the salary cap was 182.5, and everybody knew it was going to come down. Now, last year was 198 and change. And so you're seeing a lot of guys that, that ordinarily would be signing contracts getting cut just because of that. How are you going to handle this, I guess? I mean, Pat, have you we're just a few days into this and you're seeing guys getting cut, but kind of what's your reaction to that and how do you guys think you're going to take care of that, so to speak with your guys? There's, there's a lot of different ways you can go. I mean, just historically, right? Like if a team's having cap issues, that's on them to try and figure it out. Right. You know, if they want the player, it's not on you to do their job for them. Right. You have to find, you know, the fair market value, for your client, I think having, you know, relationships with every team is important to understand what the marketplace looks like for each individual client. There's a lot of thought that, you know, that middle class of players is going to get slashed this year. And like you said, guys are getting released that uh, teams are su- surprised seeing guys out there that, you know, have these names. That's to be expected from, you know, with all the conversations we've had in the last year. It, it's no different and understanding the marketplace, you know, having comparative analysis um, and just making sure that you're smart, that you get your guy into a deal that you're not leaving money on the table because you were able to have conversations with other clubs. And that's where the relationships that you've built over the last 15 years, that when this, you know, free agency opens up, getting on the phone with these guys, having conversations and figuring out what that marketplace looks like for your player. Real quick before we let you go, I got to ask, Ari Gold or Jerry Maguire? <laughs> I would uh, – that's a great question. Um, I would <laughs> definitely lead uh, – I, I, I am personally more Maguire uh, than Ari Gold. But I, uh, I 
think I might want to hang out with Ari Goldmore. Great character, um, though, right? But, yeah, great, 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 great character. But I wouldn't want him doing my business for me. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, just b- both are great men. What's funny is, you know, I speak uh, all the time to high school and college students, and like, like I even say for the last five years, the reference of Jerry Maguire is almost entirely lost <laughs> on students. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's so far gone. You definitely so show your now. age a bit. <laughs> exactly, exactly. How's this? By the way, real quick for you guys, how has this been for you in terms of, you know, COVID with the business and being able to stay on top of all the draft picks and and, and the, the business side of it? How has it been going for you? Well, we've been locked down in the basement, like you said, for the <laughs> for the past year as well. Everybody has. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a little really weird to to find out who is in and who is out. And I thought that was the process that was most difficult because usually you identify seniors because you know they're graduating, and then there's so many guys that just went back last minute. And I was really surprised because I think in this year's draft you have more of a shot than you would next year, just because there's going to be a ton of guys coming out. Um, I was yeah. really surprised. I felt like. I mean, if you really enjoy college and being around your teammates, there's nothing wrong with that. And if you want to play an extra year, I don't have a problem with that. But if you believe that you're a day three pick today and a day three pick tomorrow and next year's draft, I just think that you should have come out if you have your degree in place. A lot of guys are getting some bad information, in my opinion. Usually we we have this information that agents always push guys, right? They're always telling them how they're first, second round guys, and then they go undrafted. This year, I think people were a lot more careful, and I think they were receiving information going the other way. It's it's uh, spot on, you know, and, and we face that this year. And the challenge is, you know, every year, you don't want to pull a guy out if he's if he's not ready, right? You don't want to convince someone of the decision, you know, to go out. This is a decision that they, you know, or want to be comfortable with, with their family individually, uh, their projections of where they're going to go in the league, their coaches, et cetera. You know, it's a, it's a communal conversation in that regard. But what is interesting is that uh, I do believe, as, as you laid out, that this year's draft, if you come out, you have the ability to potentially maybe, if you're a PFA, slide into the back end of the draft. I think the top half of the draft is what it is. You know, that's lock stock. But if you're a back end guy, a D three guy, um, you might have the opportunity to move up because you have so many players that are going back to maybe try and improve their, you know, stats or improve their position or work on deficiencies. The next year is going to be an even more prolific draft top to bottom on that back end. So yeah, you're right. And that, that certainly, you know, was a challenge even for us as we you know, were recruiting trying to manage expectations of, of everybody, including, you know, ourselves. So, um, yeah, next, next year's definitely going to be interesting, but, uh, I appreciate you guys taking the time to, to reach out and have the conversation. Um, I love what I do. Most importantly, I love who I do it with. So, you know, I think it's important for, you know, anybody that's potentially even listening about wanting to, to get into the business of sports, I think those two things are the most important thing is loving what you do and love who you do it with. Uh, I could care less if someone wants to be a sports agent or not or anything, right? Like I always want to try and inspire someone to follow what it is that they love, right? Because you only get one shot at it. So, you know, just don't want to have any regret at the end. So, again, I appreciate uh, 
you know, the time, the conversation. Apologize if I was long-winded with any of that, but you know, I get excited about this stuff. No, not at all. I mean, that was uh, it. It, can't, it comes through, Pat. I mean, every the words that you're saying, it, it comes through in your responses and and just how you've uh, you know handled handled the day here with us. So we we truly appreciate your time. Awesome, man. Awesome. I appreciate it. We'll keep up with us. Uh, Malka Sports on social. M A L K A Sports. Uh, again, I'm. Pat Capper, 13. I don't know why 13. Uh, I think I was 13 when I was in eighth grade. Uh, so that, that, that's, that's why I got the number on there. But I appreciate it, man. Thanks so much, guys. Continue to keep in touch. Uh, stay safe. And um, best of luck. We'll be in touch on the road. You too. Thank you. So thanks again to Pat Capra. We know he's a very busy guy. Great insights. Um, we did some research, but didn't dig deep enough, I guess. I didn't realize the the whole uh, you know the movie production and all the uh, digital media that he does. But just a great guy, and hope to talk to him real soon. We're gonna get into a few things now. We're gonna talk a little bit about about the franchise tags we've beaten out over the last few weeks. A couple uh, interesting notes there. Uh, we had a trade, Trent Brown going back to New England. We'll talk about that, as well as. Uh, we're going to fix a franchise today. That's right. The Atlanta Falcons, our favorite team on Pros Like Us, is under the microscope. We're going to have another guest at the end of the show. So let me bring in my partner now, Alex Kaftoff. I've been talking enough. What's going on, man? How about them Falcons, huh? Is there like a quick fix, Lou, for the Atlanta Falcons? Or is this a, a huge rebuilding project for the next couple of years? Quick, no, but I don't think it's a, a huge rebuild. I mean, in this day and age, uh, you know, salary cap cut down to, as we saw earlier today, as we record on the on March the 10th, the uh, cap is at 182 and change now. Falcons are one of those teams that are still over the cap. They got rid of um, Ricardo Allen and Allen Bailey, made some space there, along with some uh, restructures, looks like. So that's going to be, I think, the first order of business. I'm looking maybe Dante Fowler might be the next one out there. I mean, he's got a big number, $18.5 million, So I don't know if he's going to be safe. They've got the number four pick. Ryan's a huge count against the cap. So... There's going to be some tweaks here, and you know the division it may be in a little bit of flux, even though Tampa Bay looks like the class of the division now. But New Orleans is going to have a new quarterback, more than likely. Uh, Carolina is going to have a new quarterback, more than likely. We'll see. We'll we'll, we'll get into a few things here and talk about uh, what some of the moves they can make. But you know, first and foremost is the overall fourth pick. I mean, would uh, I just can't see them going quarterback at that pick unless they feel like they're not going to be up here again and they want to take their quarterback of the future right now. You know, new GM, new coach, that that's going to be a, a tricky one, I think. I don't think Arthur Smith took the Falcons job thinking, I'm going to take the quarterback at number four. I just think he came here with the vision that Matt Ryan was going to be his quarterback for the next two years. I just feel like he would fit that system. I think the Falcons would want to run the football and use play action passes. They've got two really good receivers. Hopefully Julio Jones returns back to form. I mean, he's had some injuries. Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. I mean, you mentioned that this division is kind of up for the taking, to be honest with you. You don't know what's going to happen with the Saints. 
and the Panthers are still in the rebuild mode. Okay, if the Bucks take this division, then the Falcons could vie for a wild card spot if they fix that defense. Quarterback to me is not a problem. Matt Ryan might not be the same quarterback that he was when he took the Falcons to the Super Bowl against the Patriots, but he's still a good enough guy. I would say there's probably like two-thirds of teams in the NFL that are still looking for a guy like Matt Matt Ryan at quarterback. So he's still better than, you know, like 70% of the quarterbacks in the league. And in my opinion, they got to go running back and they got to fix that defense because the defense is probably the biggest problem that they have on this team. And that's the reason why Terry Fontenot came here to get this cap situation figured out and to to rebuild the, the defensive side of the ball because that's a huge issue for the Falcons. And it has been for a long, long time. It has been a problem with... When Dan Quinn was the head coach, it was a problem with Mike Smith was the head coach. And that just tells you something. They haven't been able to to bring in good enough pieces through the draft. They haven't been able to identify those players on that side of the ball. Well, especially at the edge. I mean, a big swing and a miss with uh, Vic Beasley, Tack McKinley. You know, they signed Dante Fowler. And I think I would be very shocked if he's back unless they're able to do some kind of restructure. I mean, he's at an $18.5 million number, as I mentioned before, and uh, that just seems way too much money for the type of production that he's given you. Defensive backs, you know, maybe they trade off of the fourth pick. One of these quarterback-hungry teams comes up. They trade back a bit, maybe, you know, maybe even within the division. I don't know if you could, you know, if they would do that with Carolina, but uh, certainly they could use somebody like a Patrick Sertan or uh, Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech at that spot. Running back maybe in the second, you know, high second round pick, looking at some potential free agents. Marlon Mack is still a pretty young guy. He's been uh, oft injured, but, you know, at 24 years old, that might be a solution at the running back position. James Connors out there, Mike Davis a little bit older, but he's always been productive no matter where he's gone. So there's some options out there once they get the cap situation straightened out. Were you surprised they didn't tag Keanu Neal? Now, given their cap position, they're $14 million over. But the safety position isn't that expensive of a tag. I mean, do you think they're bringing, he's going to come back? I was surprised, and I think once they didn't tag him, I think that sends a signal that he's not coming back. I just think besides A.J. Terrell, who had a good rookie season, they drafted him last year's draft in the first round, they need to rebuild that secondary because they've got a couple of free agents at the safety position. I like your thinking, Lou. When I was prepping for the show, I was thinking number four is just too rich to take any corner right. or take any defensive player in this draft. Kyle Pitts, the tight end from Florida, seems like a luxury pick. This is what... Atlanta would usually do. They would pick up an offensive player in the first round, but you can't afford to do that with so many holes. I say trade back. Trade back, pick up extra picks, and find the the best possible defensive player later on in the first round. And in the second round, I think like a guy like Najee Harris, if he's available from Alabama, or Javante Williams from UNC, they just fit the bill of what Arthur Smith is looking for because... With the Titans, I want to remind everyone, he had Derrick Henry. So he likes those bigger backs that can pound the rock. And 
with Matt Ryan being already up there in age, you can't expect them to sling it 40 or 50 times a game. That's not what they want to do. They want to run the football, control the clock, and have Matt Ryan drop back and throw the ball 25 times a game, but be more efficient. But defense, again, defense, defense, and defense. Falcons are not going to be strong players in free agency because they're in trouble with their cap cap number, but I think they've got the right people in place to finally do a good job through the draft. Yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, there'll be plenty of takers or plenty of offers, I would think. It would be awfully tempting, though, for, you know, the the shiny new offensive toy. If Kyle Pitts is sitting there, wow, that, that would be a tough one to pass up. But, again, you've got Julio Jones, you've got Calvin Ridley. You can't ha- you can never have too many weapons, but you know again I think you like you said the defensive side of the ball certainly is going to be the priority. They just haven't done well in drafting edge players, so I don't see any edge players in this draft you know being top ten or even top fifteen type players, right? I mean, am I off on that, or is there somebody that would fill the bill if they didn't go defensive back? No, you're absolutely right. I just don't see that player in this year's draft. You're going to see some guys go in the 20s, and I'm sure there'll be some reaches, but I don't see like a Gregory Rousseau from Miami who had one good year, and then he opted out in 2020. He was a redshirt sophomore, only started for one year. That's that's a high-risk player. That's not what you want. You don't want to go for a guy in the first round and go with another player that's kind of a boom-or-bust type of prospect. The Falcons can't afford to do that. They need to go with more of a sure thing. And they have holes in the secondary. They have holes on the defensive line. I just, there's no way they can address the offense, say, in that regard. There's no Chase Young in this draft, okay? If there was a Chase Young, then absolutely. I mean, the Falcons should draft that guy at four. But I have a feeling that we'll see, like, quarterbacks go one, two, and possibly three because the Dolphins are also going to be open for the taking uh, in terms of trading back. So that could make it a little bit more difficult. I've seen a lot of mocks out there that have either Trey Lance. He has become kind of a favorite of people because they're saying, okay, he played in a running offense at North Dakota State. He sat back and and did some of his best work off of play action passes. So they feel that Trey Lance is a better fit for Arthur Smith's offense than, say, a guy like Justin Fields from Ohio State. I tend to agree with them, but you're pushing Trey Lance in the top four when he's only played one year of college football. He had a great year, but again, it wasn't in the FBS. This wasn't in Alabama. This wasn't at Ohio State. I love small school guys. I always push them up. I always you know, get a lot of buzz going on Twitter. I always promote a lot of small school guys. But the truth is, that is too much of a risk to take Trey Lance at number four, even if he's going to sit for the next year or two. Behind Which he line. certainly will. They can't, I mean, they, they can't afford to move off of Ryan at this point. They just can't. Absolutely. He will sit. But the thing is, Falcons need different Yes. Makers especially in the first round and on day two. They need guys who are going to be able to come in and start and contribute right away. If you're going to draft a player number four and let him sit for the next year or two, that's not good business. That's not going to get the fan base excited with the new GM, with the new head coach. I think the Falcons realize that, 
there's no way that they're going quarterback at number four. Right. So, I mean, so the recipe here is, or at least our opinion, what they should do is, okay, let's let's try to move off of four, gain some more picks. You, obviously, you need uh, a lot of uh, less expensive talent, if you would, on the team because of the cap situation, because your quarterback is taking up so much of that cap, but he's still playing at a decent level. So I think I think they'll be okay there at least for another year or two. And then in the second round, or depending on what they get for you know moving up to four, they might have an additional first round pick. But let's just say uh, later on in the draft. So with that high, with that either seven through ten pick or whatever they get, they don't want to trade down too far. Sertan Farley may fit in there. And then as you look to the second round, then now maybe look at one of those edge rushers or uh, your running back. Uh, like you, you mentioned, you mentioned the guys earlier. So again, that's kind of the idea. And then perhaps a, a cheaper free agent. Like I said, I, I like Marlon Mack a lot. It it just depends on the on the medical and how comfortable they are with his health moving forward. But he's very young. He's not going to command a lot of money. And I think they could really hit a home run here and not really have to spend a lot of money to do it and if it doesn't work out again you didn't spend a lot to do it so i don't any anything you want to add to to our little recipe here i think terry fontenot when he was with the saints they had a recipe of always bringing in some veteran players trying to go one more go with drew Brees, and that's been the case for the past four or five years well, there they were kind of locked that, into that, right? I mean, they. Pro- I, I'm thinking right. behind the scenes, they were kind of hoping he may have stepped away even going into last year. I think things would have been different if the Saints actually pulled off that trade for Patrick Mahomes. I know you don't want to hear that. Obviously, we don't want to rehash it. But the truth is, I mean, Sean Payton was also oh, yeah, the absolutely. That was really high. That's why I and think that that's why they traded there. just ahead of him to get that with Buffalo to get that pick. So So by coming here, I think that whole team, that coaching staff, I think the best hire out of all the hires that the Falcons made on the coaching staff or in the front office, bringing Dean Pease out of retirement. I thought that was an excellent move. I mean, this guy has been doing it for a long time with many teams. He brings an exotic look, exotic schemes. Um, He wasn't going to go with a 3-4 or a 4-3. So he's looking for versatile players that can play multiple positions, and he's going to give you different looks. So I thought that was the best hire for the Atlanta Falcons. We want to make a big deal about Arthur Smith and him coming in with Matt Ryan and those offensive weapons. But I think the best thing that the Falcons did was talk Dean Pease out of retirement. And in this case, I would assume Arthur Smith was was behind that move. All right. So let's see how closely the you know, the Falcons follow our advice. You know, time will tell. Tags, you know, I don't know that there was you know many surprises here. We talked, you know, off air a bit about Kenny Galladay and <laughs> I guess the plight of the Detroit receivers. Were there any surprises in your mind? I think we we mentioned I think every one of these guys that got tagged. I'm surprised Allen Robinson got tagged. Really? I, I thought the Bears were just going to let him go. I feel bad I for really him. <laughs> I'd like to see him play with, you know, a more stable quarterback position, but even with what he's had, he's the guy still produces. What a player. Godwin got that tagged and not me. Shaquille Barrett. 
that is a surprise. Cam Robinson, our friend John Shipley, was on with us, the Jaguars beat writer, and he mentioned that they were probably going to re-sign Cam Robinson. Well, he's back to protect the blind side of Trevor Lawrence. I'm surprised Shaq Barrett didn't get the tag. I'm, I'm also surprised that Godwin was the one that got it. And Levante David. They did Levante extend David him, right? Signed. Yeah, he, got an, he signed a two-year yep. deal worth $25 million or so. Yeah. That was a good move, I mean, to bring in a veteran, a guy who has meant so much to that franchise. And then I think officially Dak got the franchise tag, but that was just a procedural thing, so they had enough time to get these, get his contract done. $160 million over four years. I mean, we can stop talking about Dak and where he's going to go and what his deal is going to be. Man, he got everything he wanted, right? Yeah, he bet on himself, he got injured, and he still got the deal that he was seeking. And it wasn't all about the money. He got a four-year contract. (laughs) It's a lot of money, but he got a four-year contract, Lou. And I think that tells me that Dak is still going to be young enough for the the Cowboys to extend him next time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And this is what his representatives wanted. They didn't want to lock him up for the next seven or eight or ten years. They wanted a shorter deal, and this is what Dak gets because the market is going to keep going up, and Dak is going to be a very rich man again in four years if he stays healthy. No tag, no trade. 126 guaranteed, I think 75 million in the first year. So I get that kind of makes up for him. I don't know his first four years. I think he made like three, three and a half million dollars. Obviously the tag last year and of 30 million. So I guess in Jerry's eyes, it does turn out to be a five-year deal. Just the first year was on the tag, but. As far as Dak's concerned, I guess the biggest difference now is not that they he didn't have expectations before, but I got to believe they're really ratcheted up now. You know, expectations of him, not just putting up the numbers that he did, but now translating into actually winning games and beating winning teams and uh, winning that division as bad as it is. You still got to win it. Do you think that's going to change him at all? Can Dak Prescott play in the secondary or play defense for the Cowboys. (laughs) Last time I checked, he's not going to be able to go both ways, especially with that contract. But I'm sure he wants to sometimes when he's standing on that sideline. I mean, Dallas's defense was atrocious this year and hasn't been good for years. We talked about the Falcons fixing the defense. Cowboys, I mean, the defense for the Cowboys in the draft needs to be a high priority. This isn't about drafting a wide receiver in the first round or a running back to replace Zeke. No, you you have to address the offensive line a bit if your stars are are getting you know older. And I'm looking at you, Tyron Smith, a left tackle, and then you got to look at at defense as well. I just a lot of it is going to depend on that. This isn't about the offense. They do have the weapons on offense, but if the Cowboys address the defense and hit on some guys there, I think. They could win the division next year in a hurry because most of the teams in this division are in a transition phase. I mean, they a lot of them are kind of searching for that identity. The Eagles are trying to figure out whether Jalen Hurts is their franchise future quarterback. Washington doesn't have a quarterback right now, right? And then, you know, you've got the New York Giants who are 
also jury's trying out. to see jury's where they still can go. Out. The jury yeah. is out on Daniel Jones and, and the rest of that crew as Saquon Barkley is coming back from an injury. A, a lot of things are falling into place for Dak and the Cowboys. It just depends on who has the best draft out of those four teams uh, in the NFC East. Got to hit on those picks, and they've, they've been hit really hit or miss you know, with Jerry and Stephen Jones kind of calling the shots. Uh, you mentioned Dean Pease for the Falcons. How about Dan Quinn coming in for, for Dallas? I mean, I think that should help, you know, as far as schematically and making sure guys are, are, are playing hard and, and really adhering to their assignments. They're just the defense. Just look, it looks like a Chinese fire drill most of the time uh, last year. So, yeah, they've got a long ways to go. And hopefully, you know, for their case, they hit on some draft picks and uh, get that defense back in place. Because, like you said, Dak can't uh, – he's not going to be blocking, tackling, or uh, making any interceptions anytime soon. A lot of money. God bless him. This is America. This is the way it goes with quarterbacks. He was the next one. He got big money. Now, the last two that did, Mahomes and uh, Deshaun Watson, seem to, you know, really hasn't changed the way they play. They're still balling out. But then you also had Carson Wentz and uh, Jared Goff. So good luck, Dak. <laughs> let's, go, let's go, America's team. Uh, there was a move we mentioned at the top. Trent Brown going back to New England. This is a little bit of a little bit of a surprise. Um, thought he played well for for Las Vegas. Maybe it was a money thing. I don't know. But you you look at that uh, Patriots offensive line. They get Brown back if they can bring Tooney back and David Andrews, Shaq Mason, Michael Wenu was a big plus for them last year. I don't want to say. Uh, a surprise, but he certainly played very well and maybe outplayed his his draft status. That's for sure. What did you think of about uh, Mike and uh, just that offensive line in general? I mean, obviously Trent Brown's a very good player, and they wanted him back. Can Trent Brown play quarterback? Does he have Again, a good arm? No. All right, that, that's a shame. Because <laughs> but you got to start somewhere, you know. I mean, right you can't have everything right off the up bat. That offensive line. I think Tooney is going to be gone. You think? But yeah, he's going to be gone. They're not going to pay him that top dollar. That's not what the Patriots do. He's a good player. They value offensive linemen, but they know they can find somebody like they found Michael Onwenu in the sixth round. I think they know, they're confident that they can find another versatile offensive lineman through the draft. If there's one thing that the Patriots have done pretty well through the years, they've drafted good on the offensive line. They've they found the right guys. They could play multiple positions, and then they developed them. So they don't know anything about drafting wide receivers, but they do know how to find those offensive linemen, and Bill Belichick has done that through the years. They, they still need to find a quarterback. I mean, they still need to find somebody who's going to be behind center. As far as Raiders moving on from Trent Brown, it was a money thing. It had to be a money thing because they gave him such a huge contract two years ago. And I'm looking at Mike Mayock. He has flopped with a lot of these free agents that he brought in like during that first year when he became the GM. He was trying to bring in some guys, but most of them flopped for him. I mean, he signed them to big-time contracts, but it never like paid off in that way. And he also hasn't done well in the draft. I'm looking at those guys that he's drafted in the first round. So, so far, Mike Mayock has the great draft guru 
has been a big disappointment as a GM for the Raiders. But at the end of the day, isn't Gruden the, the GM of that team? I mean, not to go down a, a Raiders rabbit hole here, but you know, seriously, he makes $10 million a year. It's his baby. You don't think he's making those calls? I think he is making those calls, but especially on the pro he, personnel, maybe Mayock's doing, you know, ultimately makes the final decision on the draft, maybe. But as far as the pro personnel goes, you, I think Gruden might have his hands in that very, I mean, like almost a stranglehold on it. No, he does. But the thing is, Mike Mayock is the one that's going to be judged based on those moves. John Gruden is not going to be the one to lose his no, job. The he's first not going one to go is going to be Mike yep. Mayock, his right-hand man, because he's going to be held captive to those draft picks, to those big signings and free agency. I feel sorry for Mike Mayock in this regard because Gruden is in his ear, and I'm sure the Henry Ruggs pick was his pick, not Mike Mayock's pick. I think Mayock would have gone. That the was other Al direction. Davis whispering to them from the grave speed 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 yeah they were hoping to get the next joey galloway i get it but it didn't work out slow, way too easy now it's only it's been a season one season he had no otas no ramp up to the to uh you know a shortened uh training camp so you know let's give the kid you know some a chance here look at you sticking up for henry ruggs i'm never a guy to jump down some you know path and say he's a bust after only one it year. certainly Usually sounded it like you did years. alex it really did sound like you said that but he is a bust Lou. <laughs> i know when i see so one. you're doubling I down know when i see one <laughs> i i am willing to go down that path with henry ruggs i just yeah he is a bust it's just it, it's written on his face already that there's no way he's gonna last two or three more years with the Raiders. He's going to be a goner. They'll probably trade him for a seventh-round pick in a couple of years. Wow. And it will go down as kind of a John Ross pick that, that the Bengals have been stamped yeah. on. I just I guess it, 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 was, it, was bad. it could, but nah, I don't know. Let, let, like you said, we got to see it play out. But uh, okay, yeah, you're, you're calling your shot. There's nothing wrong with that. It was the wrong move. I understand why they did it, because they felt like Ruggs was – was the ultimate outside receiver. He fit that profile from a size, speed type of thing. And the guys that were picked later on were slot guys. And they already had a slot receiver and a pretty good one. It didn't work out. Sometimes you have to cut bait. And I think this is one of those situations. you got to do a Trent Richardson. You know, Before people figure out that he is a bust, do it. Swap. Get a second round pick. Maybe somebody will be willing to. To, to do that for Henry Ruggs because he was thought very highly in, in the scouting community. I, I feel sorry for Mike Mayock because I get the feeling the way that the Raiders are marching on right now, he's going to lose his job very, very soon because Gruden is not losing it based on, on the contract that he signed. All right, gang, we're joined now by Ball State running back and uh, NFL draft prospect Caleb Huntley. Uh, he's had two 1,000-yard seasons in his four-year career. He's seventh all-time rushing and tenth all-time TDs at Ball State. Caleb, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Now, you uh, you grew up in Georgia, right? Yes, sir. All right. Now, how does a kid from Georgia make it all the way to Muncie, Indiana? How did how did that happen? Uh, honestly, I've never I had never heard of uh, Ball State before. <laughs> Even the office, so I did a little research into them and then. 
found out that they're they were in uh Indiana and that they just had a good culture. But really, um, I lost almost all my art in high school when I was in twelfth grade. Uh, just, I guess the teams didn't think I was going to qualify, so uh, most of them thought that I would go the JUCO route. But I ended up uh, qualifying. So Ball State, before I even qualified, said that they would stick with me through the whole you know, process why I was a senior, and then I ended up qualifying. So they were just loyal from the jump. I had to do whatever I could to uh, make that program a go. And four years later, it all worked out and made history at Ball State. All right, sounds good. Well, like you said, you had, uh, the rest is history, as they say. What do you think some of the advantages uh, were of playing at a place like Ball State versus, say, going to a Georgia or Alabama, Florida, somewhere like that? Receiving playing time right off the bat, think that going to Ball State gave me a better chance to uh, get on the field early and start mature, maturing fast. All right. Now, as you look back on your uh, career at Ball State, what would you think was the most memorable moment? I probably had to say my first time getting into the end zone against UAB. I really wasn't expecting to you know, score in that game, but – uh, just opened up for me, and uh, I made a good play, and, and ended up scoring, and just was a good feeling. Now I'll check your memory banks now, and you're not allowed to spike the ball in college, of course. But uh, do you recall what happened after you scored? Was there a celebration? Was there a dance? Did you? What'd you do with the ball? I honestly don't even remember what I did with the ball, but <laughs> I know I up with my teammates. So now uh, your team made it to the the MAC championship game this year. And it, it was a weird year all the way across. I think you, you guys only played uh, six games. A lot of players opted out before the season due to COVID. Take us through the, the decision it was to opt out of that game, Caleb. It was a hard decision. But uh, me being me, me being a father of a, a son, I had to make the best decision for uh, myself and my family. The second game of the season, I just – had a freak injury where um, I got hit inside and ended up fracturing my ribs. Initially, they didn't know that I fractured my ribs, but after a second opinion, I got the news that uh, the first MRI they did, they missed that. So uh, I had already been, you know, fighting for a couple of weeks to, to come back. I was still practicing. They even made like a rib cage for me and everything, but it just wasn't getting any better. So I had to make that decision for myself. So to pull myself away from that and, you know, go go somewhere where I could get a little uh, more more training on, on the area that I needed to and focus on the next step. Now, you guys were pretty serious underdogs in that game. But, you know, you were able to come out of it with a win. I mean, what, what do you attribute that to in watching the game? What, what do you remember most about uh, how the guys rallied and got it done? To be honest, just everything we've been through as a program, I just knew that year uh, was the time for us to turn a corner. The way that we practiced, the way that we prepared for situations like that, I just knew that we were ready. And then uh, just watching them, the guys play in that game, they were just – their head was in the right place. The energy was where it needed to be. And the coaching was good also. So I felt like it was already determined for them to win that game, even though we were the underdogs. Well, let's like turn our attention to you away from the your previous college career and kind of moving forward here. 
just in general, because I always like to ask this question because everybody, you know, plays the game for a different reason or different things motivate them. But what do you enjoy most of playing football, actually playing running back? Physicality and, uh, you know, what comes with it. Like, as a running back, you got different jobs. And it's one of those jobs for you to get in the end zone to score and also uh, – just having to make moves off of instincts, like I feel like that's a pretty cool position to be at where you can do that because uh, a lot of positions on the field, they really don't have to do that as much. So I feel like it's a unique position. We don't get as much credit as we should, but uh, everybody has their years uh, position-wise, and I feel like running backs going to come back around sooner or later. Had you given much thought to coming out last year? Uh, you saw my 2019? Yeah. I did, but um, I had a talk with my coach, and he was he was basically just telling me that I should probably come back another year. I just really wanted to come back for my senior year, finish it out. So that's why I decided to come back. Is there a player or running back that's either currently playing or just maybe has played in the past? So you you look at that player and you say, yeah, that that that's my style. I want to play like that. I don't really know because it's kind of hard for me to look at somebody and say, oh, that guy runs like me. But it's people that I can say run similar to me. And I would say it's guys like uh, kind of Jerome Bettis, Frank Gore, the guy that played at Oregon a couple years ago. He won, I think, like two Super Bowls for the Patriots. I forgot the other team. Uh, it's a guy with, it's a dude with the big dude with dreads. But I can't look at this man. <laughs> so, I mean, bigger backs, you know, between the tackles type guys. But at the same time, a back that can take it a distance as well. So, in looking at, I don't know how much you study the current landscape and, and different guys at your position, Caleb, but what do you think sets you apart from the rest of the running backs in this particular draft? To be honest, I feel like it's very few people that run the ball as hard as I do just with the physicality and the mindset that I do. And I feel like I just got very underrated qualities that people haven't seen in my game that just going to uh, make me turn into an even better person once I get the opportunity to showcase things a bit. Now, you had a chance to participate in the College Gridiron Showcase uh, in Texas earlier. Uh, what are some of the things that you took from that experience? I took a lot of good things from that experience. Um, just meeting with, you know, different teams and seeing where they value me and seeing ways to improve and stuff like that. It just helped me to know what things I, that I need to work on in the future. As soon as they told me this stuff, I just hit the ground running and start working on those uh, perceived weaknesses that they might have had in me. I feel like it's made me a better uh, player as of now, but I still have stuff to continue to work on as well. You've got a pro day coming up, right? Yes, sir. Okay. What do you think you're going to show the scouts, or how are you going to wow them? What is there a particular drill or forty time, or what? What do you think is going to kind of open some eyes to to your game and might uh, give you a better opportunity draft wise? Just showing them that I can actually catch the ball. I feel like that's going to be the biggest thing, and uh, showing them that um, I can actually run because uh, a lot of people don't think I can catch or run that well, but I'm ready to show them that, and uh, I've actually had some good conversations with teams. Uh, it's a lot of people on, on Twitter not really having me high or whatever, but, I mean, according to teams, it's a, it's a whole different story, so 
I don't really read on too much of that on Twitter. I just kind of keep working and stay humble because uh, at the end of the day, they have the, the final say in everything. All right. Sounds good. Any last words you want to put out there to uh, fans, scouts, likewise, that uh, that would describe your game and why you should be drafted? not really a person that's going to talk much about my game or, or tell people what I can do. All, I, all I'm going to say really is don't sleep on me. All right. Well, Caleb, we really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're very busy at this time of year. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Good luck uh, at your pro day and uh, all the best moving along. Hope to see you in the league. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Okay, gang, that is going to do it for episode number 21. We thank our guests wholeheartedly. I still can't say enough about our agent friend. A lot of great information there uh, leading up to the draft, free agency, these player cuts. Amazing. As always, on the way out, we wish you peace.